Again, we're really glad you're here. Uh, a lot of you are new, and we're thankful for that. And if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in the book of Joel in the Old Testament this morning. I'll go ahead and tell you that. might take you a minute to find it. It's one of the minor prophets near the end. Feel free to use the concordance if you need to, or uh, use version, and it'll find it for you pretty much. So... Um, so I read a story one time by a pastor, his name was William Williman, and he talked about going to a funeral. And uh, he's, he lives in the north, uh, but if you have lived in Tennessee for very long, you have been to this funeral, I think. You've been to one of those funerals where it was like the, the pastor, instead of just talking about the person who died just kind of went off on everyone and everything, and it was hellfire, brimstone, and, and damnation, and apparently this was one of those funerals, and it's like, you know, turn or burn, you better get right, it's too old, it's too late for old Joe here, and you know, he wasted his life, and he's in hell, and you better learn from him, and you better, you know, change, and then uh, he told a story about a group of people getting run over by a Greyhound bus, and now, you know, some of those people are in hell now, and, and, and that kind of thing, and, um, and it was at a funeral, and, you know, hopefully there's a measure of comfort that's trying to be given uh, at a funeral. But anyway, Pastor Willeman said when he left, uh, when they left, he was talking to his wife in his car, and he was like angry about it. And he said that was like the most disgusting, manipulative, insensitive thing that I've ever heard in my life. And his wife was like, you know what? It was disgusting. It was manipulative. It was insensitive. And worst of all, it was also true. And so there is a reality that God is judge. We are going to have to answer to him. And if we're not right with him through Jesus Christ, we really do have no hope. I think the problem can be sometimes, though, that that kind of presentation or maybe TV preachers that we've heard or other preachers you know, or signs like turn and burn or uh, signs or protests that classify certain kinds of people as horrible people have given the word repentance a bad name, have caused people to have a misunderstanding of it. When what we really need to understand that the word repentance in, in English, in our language, is one of the greatest and sweetest words that there is. Because repentance is actually a gracious gift from God. Apart from repentance, we have no hope. And you see, repentance is actually a divine grace. It's not a human work. It's something that's affected in our hearts through the working of the Holy Spirit. Repentance is actually a sign that you're saved. Uh, proof of salvation is not perfection. Proof of salvation is a life of ongoing repentance. And the reality is that God gifts us with repentance, meaning that he gives us another chance. 
That he is the God of the second chance. That he just didn't give us what we deserved. He just didn't send us to hell the first time we sinned. Or the second time we sinned. Or the hundredth time we sinned. Or the thousandth time that we sinned. It's a gift. It means you can start over. It means you can be new. It means your life can be different. See, repentance is turning to God. It's turning away from ourself and our self-will. It's kind of like doing a U-turn. It's turning away from going our own path to follow God and His path. It starts in the mind. I think the way I define repentance is it's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that results in a change of action. A lot of times we think of the action as repentance. Actually, the action is the fruit of repentance. It's inside out as everything with the gospel is. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of action. So do you need to repent? The answer is an easy yes. I need to repent every day. You do too. I mean, do we need to turn to God? Do we need to return to God? I mean, think about the problems in the world. You know, we're dealing with COVID, there's genocides, there's persecutions, there's immorality, there's injustice, there's racism. We could go all day long. Does our world need to change? But do we need to change personally? Are you rejecting Jesus and living for yourself? And understand, you may be living as a good, moral person outwardly. But if you're still, if it's about you and it's not for Jesus, you still need a heart change. Christian, if you're honest, are you kind of spiritually cold? Maybe apathetic, kind of on the fence. You've lost your first love. Maybe in all the craziness of the last year, you've been distracted. You're just struggling. Frustrated with life. Maybe that could have something to do with not being where you need to be with God. You know what one of God's great gifts is? Is that life doesn't work right when we don't live it in His way. Because He loves us too much to let us stay stuck in our sin. Jesus said to the lukewarm church in the the book of Revelation in the church at Laodicea, I'm knocking, I'm knocking on the door. And you know, a lot of people use that verse as an evangelistic invitation. That's not what it is in context. He was talking to lukewarm Christians. Maybe he's knocking on the door of your heart today. He says, behold, those that I love, I rebuke, and I chasten. Thank God for his discipline. Because he loves us, again, too much to leave us in our sin. I need that. I need repentance every day. But is he knocking on the door of your heart? This is simply what I would ask you to do today. Is to do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. You say, how do you know if it's the Holy Spirit telling you to do something? Well, can I just tell you, Satan or your own flesh is not going to tell you to surrender your life to Jesus. If you have that thought that you need to do that, I promise you that's the Holy Spirit because you were dead in your sins 
And there, there is nothing inherent within you that would produce that desire. Only God can do that. If you're a Christian and you feel like there's a sin you need to lay down, something you need to make right, uh, something that God's telling you to do that you need to do, something you need to surrender, that's not coming from your flesh. That's certainly not coming from Satan. That's the Holy Spirit. Have you stopped spending time with God? Just going through the motions. Is there some kind of ongoing sin in your life? Are you stuck in some kind of sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess? I think we all get in that cycle with some things sometimes. You have some broken relationships. What about your marriage? You know what the, really the key is to having a good marriage? Repent and forgive. Repent and forgive. Because every marriage is a union of two sinners. I mean, I know that doesn't sound like it. That's not going to go sell real well on a Hallmark card. <laughs> but, but that's real life. Can I get an amen from the counselor over here? <laughs> I mean, I know there's more to it than that. But at the end of the day, it's repent and forgive. Are you serving God? Are you wasting your life because you're not stewarding it well? The good news is that we can repent. We can be restored. We, we can turn around. And, and maybe even the better news is, is that God is reaching out to us, working in us to make that happen. We all need ongoing repentance. And so we're going to look this morning at, at one of the Old Testament prophets. And look at a passage about repentance. So Joel was writing to the people of God. And he emphasizes something in this book called the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is a phrase that's used in Scripture for, for God's judgment and, and different times and events of God's judgment. And, um, you know, leading up to the final day of the Lord when Jesus returns to judge everything, to set everything right. And so, in, in the background of the book of Joel, in, in, in chapter 1, there's uh, this locust attack going on. And this must be like cicadas on steroids. And, I mean, it sounds like it's bad, but it's God trying to get his people's attention. You know, uh, think about COVID. People say, is COVID God's judgment? You know, what, what is it? I don't, certainly don't think anybody's going to call it God's blessing. Um, I think it's God getting our attention, hopefully. We're either going to let him get our attention, or things are going to get worse. And that's basically what Joel's saying here, because this locust attack is a precursor of a coming invasion that he speaks of in chapter 2. And he's saying, if you guys don't repent... God's going to send further judgment. There's going to be an invading army that's going to come and take you over. And then this is leading up to chapter 3 where he talks about the final day of the Lord, uh, you know, the, the return of Christ. And the reality is that no matter what's going on in the world, in our lives, in our circumstances, and whether they're good or bad, someday we're all going to stand before God and answer to him. And anything that like, seems like judgment now is really like a warning shot to prepare for what's coming. And he says, be ready. 
And so, in the context of God's judgment, of God's discipline upon his people, in the context of our lives, when maybe you don't know Jesus, or maybe as a Christian, you're not always where you need to be spiritually, God gives this invitation, this this command, this direction to us in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. He says, Now therefore, says the Lord, Turn to me, repent, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. In other words, make it inward, not outward ritual. Return to the Lord your God. This series we're starting today is called Reset to kind of how to get things in order and where we go from here. And the first step is to return, to turn, to repent. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God, which that refers to worship and is saying all of this ultimately is not about us, but it's about the worship of God. And so I just want to point out uh, quickly in these verses just kind of four basic truths about repentance. The first one is this, is is our need for repentance. Why do we need to repent? Well, he, he makes it very clear, I think, in verse 12 that it's, it's because of our sin, it's because of our apathy, it's because of our backsliding. And, you know, I, I won't take the time uh, to, to get into this, but if you read through the book, there's this kind of interwoven theme of sometimes he's talking about individual repentance, sometimes he's talking about corporate repentance. As the body of Christ, as, as individual Christians, we both need to repent personally, and at times we need to repent corporately if we're going to be in right fellowship with the Lord. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. We reap what we sow. And so we're going to reap the seeds of the flesh, or the seeds of the Spirit. So if you want to have a different harvest in your life, the only way to do it is to sow different seeds. That's repentance. Now, he again, he's talking about, through this book, God judging sin. Now, you may say, because a lot of people will push back on this, like, why does God judge sin? You know, isn't God love and Why would God seemingly be harsh? Let me give you three reasons why God judges sin. Number one, because of his nature. He's holy. Sin is simply repulsive to him. This is who he is. He's perfect. Would you want an imperfect God? I mean, is that even, can we even conceptualize that? He's holy. But second, his role is, Because Scripture makes it very clear that he's the judge, the righteous judge of all. Now, we've talked about this even even recently. 
We want a just judge. We're wired that way. We crave justice. Like, if somebody wrongs us, we want them to get it, right? If somebody's speeding by you, cuts you off in traffic, you want there to be a cop waiting a few hundred feet ahead that's going to pull them over, right? Uh, You're watching a ball game, and uh, your team, there's a terrible call against them. You're yelling at the umpire, the referee, through the television, like you can change the results. But... If the bad call goes in favor of your team, you're kind of rationalizing it away, right? (laughs) And that's what we often do in our lives. We want God to be the judge of the people we don't like, the bad people out there, but we want him to be merciful to us. We have two sets of standards. We want people to judge us on our best intentions. We tend to judge other people on their worst actions. But God is judge, but that means he judges all sin. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is poured out against all unrighteousness of men. All. He's holy. He's judge. But you know what else? You know why God judges sin? Not because he's unloving, but because he's loving. How could a loving God not address sin when sin harms us? When the wages of sin is death. The Bible says God's commandments are not burdensome. You know, I had an experience when we were in Honduras uh, the last night we were there. Uh, there's, there's some American missionaries down there, and they started a website and, and a podcast to kind of advertise the ministry. It's called Good News Honduras. If you wanted to learn more about the, the ministry in Honduras, it would be a good way to do it. But they uh, interviewed me, one of them, for, for the podcast. And he was kind of asking about my background, and uh, I was talking about how, you know, I, I you know, knew God was calling me to preach when I was um, in high school, didn't want anything to do with it. I ran from it. And then uh, when I was a sophomore in college, basically God broke me and brought me to the place of where I literally thought, however bad this preaching thing is going to be, it has to be better than being this miserable for the rest of my life. God rebukes. He chastens. I mean, that time when I was running from that was literally the worst year of my life. But here's the thought that that struck me as I was recording this and I've thought about it since. I thought about all the friends that I have in Honduras. And people, some of them that I barely know, I mean, person after person while we were down there asking me how Robin's doing. We've been praying for her. I think about uh, the miraculous things that I've seen there. And so much more to come. I mean, I, I think about the things I've seen God do at True Life. What we saw earlier. And we've seen that almost 600 times now. I think about me getting to baptize my dad, his older brother. I mean, I I could talk all day about just the amazing things that God has blessed us to be a part of in ministry. 
God was so loving and good to break me. And I'm thankful that he did. Don't run from a loving God. Run to him. You'll never regret it. But you'll spend the rest of your life regretting it if you don't. We need to repent because God judges sin, because he's holy, because he's judge, and because he's love. But let's think about the nature of repentance for a minute. Again, look at what he says in in verses 12 and 13 here. He says, turn to me with all of your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. So repentance is turning around. It's turning from our self-will. It's turning from going our own way. You know, the the theme song of the human race, if you want to go back a long time, it's Frank Sinatra, and then there's a Bon Jovi song from the 80s or 90s that literally quotes from the song, I did it my way. that's, That's our heart. But God says to turn from our way, turn to his way. But he says it has to be sincere from the heart that there's brokenness. That's genuine repentance. It's not just going through the motions. But it's from the heart, and it leads to a change in action. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Do we mourn over our sin? You see, genuine repentance is God-focused. It's not just that I got caught, or I want to get out of this mess, or I want my circumstances uh, to be better. It's our heart's broken because we're breaking the heart of God. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. In Hebrews 12, the Bible talks about Esau. Remember, he sold his birthright for a morsel of food. And that's what a lot of people today are doing. They're selling God's birthright. They're selling God's plan for their lives, for the things of this world. But he says when he wanted to inherit the blessing, in other words, when he wanted to be blessed, when he wanted to be fixed, he says he was rejected. Why? For he found no place with repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. It's not saying he sought repentance diligently with tears. It's saying he sought the blessing diligently with tears. But we can't have the blessing, the plan of God, without a genuine heart change and turning to him. Three, let's think about the basis of repentance for a minute. And the basis of repentance is the heart of God. Again, it's a gracious gift from God. Look at verse 13. He says, So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. Why? Because he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. Let's think about that. God is inviting you to him. He's not mean and angry. He's not holding you at arm's length. He has his arms open wide. He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger. He's of great kindness. You see, some of you think you're rejecting God, but you're rejecting some man-made version of God. This is the real God. This is who he is. Why would you not want to come to that kind of God? I mean, I think about it this way. The worst moment in human history was when Adam and Eve sinned. 
we can't even comprehend it. Because we're used to everything being messed up. We sin all the time, and so unless it's something particularly heinous, it doesn't hit us with its full force. But, I mean, can you think about a time in your life where you did something that you felt horrible, horrible about? Guilty, ashamed, embarrassed. Maybe it could be, it had been years ago, and me even saying this is triggering those feelings. You still struggle with it. I think we probably all have some things like that. But here's the thing. Can you just imagine everything was perfect and realizing you just blew all of that? And you know, God had told them that if you eat the fruit of this tree, you're going to die. But he didn't immediately kill them physically. They died spiritually because their sins separated us from God. But why didn't he kill them? Because he's gracious and merciful and slow to anger and full of kindness. But I want you to think about what he did. Remember in the garden? They realize this. They're ashamed. They feel guilty. They try to cover themselves. They realize they're naked. They're, they're hiding. They start blaming each other. Everything's falling apart just like that because sin destroys. I mean, Satan makes it look good, but sin destroys but So they're hiding. They're running from God. But God's running after them. He's looking for them. He's calling out to them. Don't run away from the God who's running after you. Run to Him. Return to Him. You know, later on in that chapter, He kills an innocent animal to clothe them, to hide their sin and guilt and shame, which is a picture of the cross where Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, died on the cross bearing our sins so we can be clothed in His righteousness and not have to live in our guilt, in our sin, in our shame anymore. I think about the parable of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. You know, He, he said, in, in essence, to His Father, I wish you were dead because I want my money now. The father gave it to him. He went and wasted it on riotous living, on, on wild, debauched uh, living. He has nothing, uh, doesn't even know how he's going to eat. So he says, well, let me arise and, and, and go home, and maybe my father will receive me back as one of his servants, so at least I'm not going to starve to death. And, and Jesus said, when he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, which means he was looking. And of course, the Father is a picture of God, obviously looking because He's merciful and gracious and slow to anger and full of kindness. And it says that the Father ran to meet Him. Old men didn't run in that society. It was considered undignified. You would have been a laughingstock of your neighbors. Look at Him. Look at how this boy's treated Him. And now He's running to meet Him. Folks, that's the heart of God. He's running for you. He ran all the way to the cross for you. Don't run away from him. Run to him. Repentance is a gracious gift of God. And out of that, then, I want us to see finally God's response to genuine repentance. Verse 2 
Chapter 2, verse 14 tells us it's restoration and blessing. Other verses do the same thing. I don't have time to read them. It says, who knows who you'll turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Um, in, in verse 19, he talks about satisfying his people with grain and oil and wine. In verses 25 through 27, he talks about restoring the years that, that the locust has eaten. Maybe you need some things restored in, in your life. It's going to start, though, by you returning to the Lord. He can restore your heart. He can restore uh, your home. He can restore things, but you got to return to him. So I would just say to you this morning, if you're a Christian, and there's ongoing sin in your life, things are broken, you're cold, you're away from God, right now in this moment, will you begin to repent? Will you return to the Lord? He's waiting on you. He's looking for you. He's drawing you. He's speaking to you. He's full of grace and mercy and, and kindness. He's forgiving. You can confess your sins. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can ask his forgiveness. You can ask him to help you to turn from those sins. You can change. You can surrender. You can choose to stop doing something by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can choose to do what you need to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. But some of you this morning, you're away from God. You know, when we're talking to Christians, we're talking about fellowship. Some of you don't even have a relationship with God. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It says our sins separate us from God. But you know, there's good news in the book of Joel for you too. Because in chapter 2, starting in verse 28, it goes on to say this. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And, and, you know, this is future, talking about when Jesus returns. But it says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But if you go to the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, God begins the church. He, he pours out his spirit. But they think that they're drunk. And so Peter begins to preach. And, and what does he take as his text? He takes those verses we just read. I won't read them again for time's sake, but in Acts 2.21, uh, it says, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is how then Peter applies that. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by. And he goes on to continue to talk about Jesus. And so he says, 
The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Who is the Lord? His name is Jesus. And He is the Son of God. And He came and He died for our sins. And He rose from the dead. And if we call on His name, He'll save us. He'll forgive us. He'll bring us back to the Father. He'll cleanse us. And He'll make us new. That's what we all need to return to God. uh, to, To be forgiven of our sins and to have this relationship with Him. And as Peter preached this, It says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent. There's that word. Turn to God. And and listen, repentance and faith are not synonyms, but they are inseparable. If we're turning to God, it's, it's because we're trusting him. And if we're trusting him, we're going to repent. You can't, you can't remove them. And so he tells the whole crowd to repent. Turn from your sins. Call on the name of the Lord. Trust in Jesus Christ. And then he says to those who do, it's different tenses in the Greek, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. In other words, repent of your sins. Trust Jesus. And when you do, publicly confess that by identifying yourself with Christ in believer's baptism. That's what he says to them. So God would say to you today, if you don't have a relationship with him, to return, to turn to him, to come to him, to trust him, to surrender to him, to repent, to call on the name of Jesus and to be forgiven. And he invites you to do that right now. So I want to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I'm going to give you a chance to respond And then we're actually going to sing a song of invitation and give you a chance to respond publicly. But right now, between you and God, if you are a Christian, but you know you're away from the Lord, will you turn to Him? Will you begin to repent of your sins, to ask Him to forgive you, to ask Him to fill you with His Spirit? Here, if you're online, same thing. And listen, if you're online and you need to communicate something to us, you want to talk to somebody, go in the chat room, uh, let the host know. Or you can text TLC Decision to 94000. Someone will follow up with you. There's connection cards here in the room under the chairs. You want to fill that out and turn it in. Someone talk to you later. But I just encourage you in this moment, right now, in this time, do what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. If you're not a Christian and you know God's Spirit is speaking to you and saying, you need to trust Jesus. You need to come to Him. Would you do that right now? Would you call on the name of the Lord? Just confess your faith in Christ. Say, Jesus, I believe. In you. I believe you're God's son. Let's talk to him. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. And right now, I receive you into my life. I turn my life over to you. I turn from my sin. I turn to you. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord. And here's what I want to invite you to do as we sing in a moment. 
you just gave your life to Christ, or you have questions about that, come see me, or we'll have other people up here. If you need to be baptized, if that's your step of obedience, we have clothes, towels, anything you would need, I'd challenge you to do that. If you need to repent and surrender, do that. If you want to come to the altar and pray, if you'll come on your right side to the right side, if you want to be just kind of you and God, if you want to come to the left side of the altar, that's going to signify that you want somebody to pray with you, and we'll have somebody come and do that. But you respond. Do what the Holy Spirit tells you to do. Father, I pray that you'd overcome any obstacle or hindrance and that you'd just compel people to come to yourself. Lord, help us to respond now. In Jesus' name we pray.